Welcome to the Death by DVD Halloween special, Slashers That Killed the Genre, Day 4. I am Alexander Nash, and with me as always is Hank. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or whatever the fucking time you decide to listen to this episode at. It's Devil's Night, as no one calls it except people that watch The Crow. All Hallows Eve. We're here to ruin it for you with two subpar slasher movies that were part of the era that killed slasher movies first we will be talking about tonight is a fred olin ray joint and it's his first real movie he made the alien dead before this but this was his first hollywood movie this is when he had moved out of florida and moved to los angeles to try to make it as a film director and it's a movie called scalps the first hollywood fred olin ray movie uh, is it really i mean would you call this well, Hollywood? i don't think anything fred olin ray has ever done it would be considered hollywood but he at least lived in los angeles at the time well let's let's give the man some credit here he just won an emmy so i mean it's a daytime one but still it's an emmy he's moved on up fred olin ray i think is one of the most prolific workhorses when it comes to the genre we love with all of our heart he's started off in i guess what you could call almost the nudie cutie era because he didn't really make porn i mean he made some porn but he really made a lot of topless dumb horror movies i mean that was really the specialty of fred olin ray but there are a lot of gems within that and as he's progressed and worked throughout the year i think he's one of the hardest working guys possibly in horror there's there's never really man this sucks man this is the worst thing i've ever seen no matter what fred olin ray has managed to do it's have you managed- seen the tomb Oh, the tomb is pretty bad. But you can watch it. That's what I mean. You can actually sit through it and you can watch it. And one of the things that makes Fred Olin Ray the king is his acknowledgement of, yes, these movies might be bad. But 77 boobs later, are you really complaining? And that's really the origin. I mean, he is uh, responsible for Brink Stevens. He's responsible for Linnea Quigley. He has moved a lot of the people that are traditionally loved in the horror genre, I think, to um, stardom with, hey, get naked for me. Because that's the Fred Olin Ray way. Just take off your top. Maybe let me cover you in some ketchup. You make him sound a little sleazy there, Hank. <laughs> Take off your top. I don't know if he would disagree. I mean, I, I I think a lot of sleaze is what made the genre. And and two, some of the problems with a lot of the movies we've discussed on these five days of Halloween is a lack of sleaze. There isn't anything particularly defining with the slasher movies we picked, which is why they are part of the death of slasher movies. What's interesting, right? though, about this one is I don't think it contains any nudity at all. 
this is when he, he was just making straight up horror. Yeah, you don't need nudity when you have like two or three seconds of a tiger man. That's all you need. <laughs> like fuck nudity. It's a lion man. Hey, lion man, tiger, tiger man. man. Regardless, that's it. I mean, and that's the most enchanting thing of this movie. And and this is the smartest. It move. wasn't even supposed to be in the movie. Well, it's why Fred Olin Ray is a genius. I've got a really shitty movie, but if the first five seconds have a cool tiger man and a wizard robe out in the desert, people are gonna watch the entire film to see where that tiger man and the wizard robe comes back and guess the fuck what that was it that's your tiger man but damn it it's so cool he's doing this little lip thing looks like mick jagger i love it the movie scalps is pretty generic slasher film trope of a bunch of college students going out in the desert to look at some indian artifacts and one of them gets possessed by the spirit of an ancient medicine man and goes around and starts killing them and scalping them the lion man footage is the very first thing you see in the film and that was just like a like shooting a special effects reel just to like take it out and to see what they could do with this special effect it was never intended to be in the movie i don't even think fred Olin ray wanted it to be in the movie i'm pretty sure that it just got mixed in with the reels that they had sent to the producers to uh, to be edited and it just got chopped in and i think he was like oh why is that in there that shouldn't be in there but it's the one thing people will always remember from this film because there's a giant lion man <laughs> fucking special effect at the beginning that goes nowhere but overall the movie just i mean it's got forrest j ackerman in it uh it's got some other old dude that i can't remember what he was in some westerns i think I think what really brought this movie to attention and gave it its significance is the fact that Uncle Forey's in it. And I think at its time period, that's really one of the biggest draws, that we live, unfortunately, in an era where people don't know what Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine is. And shame on you. Shame on you for not knowing what that is. But Forrest J. Ackerman, at this time period, what, 1983, he was still a a god on the lips of anyone that had a mild interest in horror. I mean, how... Far along were things outside of Starlog and and what uh, Deep Red was. Had Deep Red even started by '83? I mean, I think you had Fangoria in the early birth of horror literature, but really, Forrest J. Ackerman was the king. He was the most attentive person with a passion for horror. So when his name was involved in anything, people would go out of their way to specifically see it because it was kind of it was like paying tribute to Elvis. It's Forrest J. Ackerman, man. He's the king. Yeah, and he's got about three minutes in the movie where he's reading off a script and says a bunch of ridiculous has a cool hat very nice hat (laughs) generally it's just a bunch of people wandering around in the desert and a bunch of weird shit happening and then eventually a guy puts on a halloween mask (laughs) and eventually scalps a woman in a very unrealistic special effect and all the special effects are mostly bad except for the lion man and that's generally it it was shot on like 16 millimeter film it's never looked good even when it's been digitally remastered it still looks pretty bad you keep bringing up this guy that was in the movie that was some old cowboy actor you're talking about the original clark kent it's uh kirk allen okay from uh he he did the the voice of superman in the 1940s it was uh kirk allen I, I was thrown from that for a minute. I had to go back through the cast and figure out who the fuck you were talking about. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just kind of one of those generic slasher films, and it doesn't have much production value behind it, but they didn't really spend much money on doing it. And they did turn a profit on it because I remember like being a 
very small child and seeing a, a television trailer for it when it came out. So it like it sold a lot of fucking tickets. It's uh, it actually went on a double bill with the uh, Slayer at one point, Scalps and the Slayer, and that uh, double feature really turned a profit. This movie really turned a profit for being as like kind of cheap and generic as it is. Like the 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 background uh, music is a lot of like this repetitive drum track that keeps playing over and over and over again and it just kind of lulls you into complacency for the entire film uh the scalping effect i mean it's a pretty basic put on a swimming uh swimming what the hell they were called a swimming cap and then put a wig on, on top of that and then boom you got a scalping scene of special effects and that was the like the big thing that people were going to see was this one special effect somebody's gonna get scalped one person gets scalped. I think it was cut out of a lot of versions of this film. Um, it's intact finally again on like DVD and Blu-ray. Ugh, scalps in itself is a pretty rough ride because the acting is all generally pretty bad. The filmmaking is not the best. Even Fred Olin Ray would tell you I did not know what the fuck I was doing back then. And a lot of the lighting isn't done right. A lot of the cinematography isn't done right. But overall, it's just, I mean... For the most part, though, it's fairly enjoyable to sit through. I mean, it's it's not convincing in any way. It's not something that's just like, well, that was a, that was a pretty decent movie. No, if you're into watching uh, cheap trash, you will enjoy yourself because that's what it is. It's just a cheap trash slasher film. But overall, it's it's not an unfun one unless you get to the, uh, the day for night footage and then you're just going to reel with laughter. I think what makes Scalp so successful is the magic of Fred Olin Ray and is how he It's can the magic s- of advertising as well. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the magic of Fred Olin Ray is how he can sell something, how he can uh, make a trailer that manages to be better than the movie. He can give you a synopsis. You can read that synopsis and it sounds amazing, but by that point in time, you've already bought a ticket, he's made his money, and out the door it goes. Not saying that his entire career is, uh, you know, scuttled with bad marks, but when you're looking at a Fred Olin Ray movie, you're looking for boobs, sleaze, and death. A lot, a lot of titties. This movie is kind of primordial because it's nothing like anything Fred's done. And now, of course, he does Lifetime and Hallmark movies that have no nudity and star burning out 60, 70-year-old actresses that are just looking for their last dining paycheck. So it's really weird. You can watch this and then go turn on Hallmark and see the evolution. What I can appreciate about it, though, is that Fred has always sold a product. And you put his name on something else, it's not to watch it. It's Fred Olin Ray. There's at least going to be titties, unless it's scalps. <laughs> unless it's scalps. Uh, I mean, it does feel like a film from a, like a, a bygone era more than anything. Over a lot of the choice of actors, like the the older actors in it, just the general premise of it, it feels almost like Ega, but with a lot more violence in it. Um, it's kind of one of those type deals. But overall, I mean, it's it's not unworthy of a watch, especially if you haven't seen it. Check it out. I mean, it's one of those things that you can kind of laugh at and have a good time with. But and it's not overly boring or overly like. It, but it's just kind of generic and it's relatively short. I think it's another like 70 minute movie, 75 minute movie. One hour, 22 minutes in full runtime. It goes by a lot faster than you think it would. Lion Man. Lion Man's pretty cool. Or I'm sorry. Tiger Man. Wait, did I get it right? <laughs> so you had it right to begin with and now it's wrong again. Never mind. The next film we'll be talking about is a uh, junkie movie directed by. The Cemetery Zombie from Night of the Living Dead, directed by Bill Heinzman, based on a book by 
They're one of the writers for Nihiling Dead, John Russo, um, a man who's obsessed with nudity. Based on a book by John Russo really doesn't have a lot of pivotal point. Because John Russo is not the best writer, and this is a prime example of it. This is actually better than a lot of his other uh, movies that were based on books. Like Midnight, it's better than Midnight, definitely. It's better than like Children of the Living Dead, which he made uh, years later in like late 90s. The general idea with the Majorettes is... The majorettes at a local high school are being killed by a slasher. That's the base premise. That's about 30 minutes of the movie. And then it goes like on a really wild ride of not knowing what the fuck to do with this. I mean, this is all in the book as well. It's not like he didn't write in the book. It's like he just ran out of shit to write about and just took it at a completely different level, which is what makes the movie interesting. But I will have to say the best part about this movie, best part about this movie is the opening credits. Tell me that opening credit sequence isn't sweet as fuck, Hank, where it's playing the, like, the weird synth music and you have the, the skeleton twirling the baton. That shit's awesome. I've got to agree with you in the opening credits, but I've got to disagree on the entirety of, of Russo's writing. I think he intended for the entire thing to be this way because they're, the development of every character is significant enough that it creeps into the next plot. It, it's horrifying, but he had uh, a slasher teen revenge redneck exploitation drug dealing what else am i missing something because there's like 70 oh biker gangs there's like 77 other plots in this movie but every single one of them is given incredible amount of detail like he didn't just like oh we're gonna segue into a biker gang the characters were developed they were brought in they're all introduced it's horrifying you do, it's like a frankenstein's monster of a movie all of these things are pieced together and at the end of the day some of it kind of pays off. I will say you've got the greatest, exquisite, most beautiful scene of a 16-year-old killing people with a M16 of all time. It's it's really great. Well, because, like, basically at the beginning it is just a slasher film. It's a guy decked out in kind of, like, paramilitary gear with a hunting knife killing teens. And that's generally what it's about. And it goes really in-depth in character because, oh... This person they killed was pregnant, and it turns out all the per- the majorettes that this guy's killing are slutty in some way or have some sort of problem, because you find out about mm, 30, 35, maybe 40 minutes into the movie that the police chief is who's killing people because he's trying to cleanse these girls. They gotta be pure. But, they gotta be pure. Subsequently to this, this whodunit story, which is now over, we've also like, introduced a plot where a old dying woman and her caretakers are trying to kill her granddaughter so they get the inheritance. So they frame the cop into kill, trying to kill her so they can get the inheritance. So they decide to let the cop go. So, well, we won't tell anybody you're this serial killer if you kill her too so we can get this inheritance. But unfortunately, all of that was like given to you in the first few minutes of the movie, and that's where it gets really weird is that all of these really chaotic, tales this movie ends up taking all of these different exits this movie ends up taking they were all established like all of the writing was was thought through somebody sat down and came up with this idea and decided at the end of the day that they were going to follow through with it and that's where it becomes almost insanely laughable and you start worrying about the fact that john russo may or may not be a fucking psychotic because this movie has nothing to offer by the time you get to the end of this, like, because you, you're kind of intrigued. You've got somebody 
ripping someone's head off. They reach down and go through the soft top of a convertible car and slash someone's neck off. And it's this really intriguing and almost beautiful look. Like, oh man, this is a really cool, like, Hunter Woods kind of 80s slasher movie. And then you get this weird Sam Spade detective angle, and then it goes off into this, like, I may or may not be trying to kill somebody else with your help. Nothing. Well, okay. It's it's lunacy. We're going to get into some strange things here discussing this plot, because after, like, the second or third victim gets killed one of the teens goes up to the cops and says hey i might have some information this girl who just got killed was getting roughed up by this guy from a biker gang who's also a drug dealer so he sticks the cops on this biker gang so we've now introduced this biker gang plot and now the biker gang is after this kid for riding them out even though they didn't have anything to do with the murder they decide to kill him and his girlfriend while they're at the world's worst strip club which looks like a um, like an elks club that they've just thrown some lights down and um, have some stripper dancing in the middle of the room it's fucking bizarre looking. that's far too much credit you're giving for this place <laughs> but now so we've introduced this biker gang plot so we also have the inheritance plot going on at the same time as the biker gang plot because they rough this kid up try to kill him but he gets away even though his girlfriend who I'm pretty sure was the chick who was going to get the inheritance anyway. She gets killed. And then he goes after the biker gang with an M16 and just hunts them all down and blows them all away. And that's generally the movie. And the cop thing is... The serial killing cop is somewhat resolved at some point, but not really. It's kind of a giant mess of a movie, but it is interesting. I don't even remember how that ends. I mean, by the time you get the really insane shoot 'em up ending, I, I kind of forgot that there was even a cop killing people. I couldn't even tell you right now how it ends. I just know that child shoots a lot of grown men. He blows up the trailer, blows up the car. People burn to death. Most of the budget of this movie was the shoot 'em up scene, and it's great if you kind of want to go through this. I mentioned uh, on uh, previous episodes, I don't like to advocate drug and alcohol use, but it worked for me. The Majorettes, 1987, uh, take something for this, not an aspirin, for God's sakes. Please don't just pop an Alka-Seltzer. Be like Drake, take half a Xan, do something. It's not tolerable. And unfortunately, not to be overtly insulting, most of John Russo's career kind of tends to be that way. You came up with the name of something, and I hand you credit for that. It was a really terrific name. But everything else is tiring. Everything is just a, a stressful venture to get through. So you, when you come to John Russo and George Romero, if you ever wanted the debacle of who was the, the genius behind Night of the Living Dead, it's Romero. Are you a fucking idiot? Have you seen Knight Rider? <laughs> Have you seen Martin? Have you seen any of the man's work? For God's sakes, it's Romero. If anything, this Halloween you learn George Romero is pretty fucking good. Pretty... I'm not going to do the whole thing. Pretty... Pretty, pretty good. Pretty... 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 pretty, pretty the Majorettes is a complete disaster mess of a movie. It, it has to be seen to be believed... Most of the aspects of it are completely incompetent, though. We have to make people want to watch this, but unfortunately, you you just really said, I think, the most accurate description of this movie. It has to be seen to be believed. I guess that's going to do it. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Join us tomorrow for Halloween Samhain, the big scary episode, the granddaddiest of them all. Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Join us tomorrow as the five days of Halloween continue on Death by 
I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. At this, At this time, time, we conclude our, our broadcasting. broadcasting. Thank mm-hmm. you.